Hi folks, I'm Alan Watton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 8th of May 2012. For newcomers, you should help yourself to the audios for a free download at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's thousands there actually, over over a thousand. And uh, you can start to understand the big system you're born into and how it operates across the whole planet, what its goals are, where it originated from, the big foundations, big bankers, all the intelligentsia of the day over a 100 years ago got on board together in their big clubs to take over the world, all of its resources, and throw all religions out the window and basically bring in the humanist, humanist agenda, basically, where the elites, the intelligentsia, would run the world, and they decided they were the intelligentsia, since they pretty well owned a lot of it even back then. So you're living through the big changes as they use lots of excuses to take away your rights and freedoms and make you get down on your knees and beg the high priests of science to save you from, well, your own carbon dioxide and all that kind of nonsense. So it's a clever strategy. It's very well done. They own all the media, so there's no problem in convincing the public to go along with it, the general public at least. But there's lots of people exposing it now, thank goodness, because it's been an uphill battle between lots of little reporters compared to the big massive media giants at the top. They've also trained these children through schooling, uh, through lots of very carefully constructed videos with the, the hypnotic voice and the music behind it, showing them scary scenarios if they don't get on board with the green agenda. So they're all ready for the communistic system of internationalism, and down on the knee to the big high priests of science. Member two, when you go into the website, they all carry transcripts in English as well. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwatchsentinel.eu and help yourself there. Member two, you bring me to you. You can help me go uh, along by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal check at an international postal money order, or you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, uh, and PayPal and MoneyGram. And straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome during these austere and hyperinflationary times. And you all know what I mean by that. Now, as I said, said at the beginning there, that we're living through an incredible time incredible time of planned change. That's why these big boys with all their international agreements uh, between different organizations that we don't vote in, no country votes these organizations in, they're NGOs, non-governmental organizations that sometimes get your tax money, by the way, from your governments, because they're all part of it too. Uh, but they get the main funding from the big foundations which front for the international moneylenders who came up with this idea a long time ago. And so they lobbied the governments that are only too happy to to go along with them and, and to take their reports and sign treaties, etc., which are drafted up by these private organizations. And remember, these treaties affect all of us because there's nothing democratic to say about them. This is a planned agenda. And again, I'll put up the green agenda tonight. You'll see all the quotes given by top players 
and, and the IPCC and the various organizations that come up with the fake reports that came out before with WikiLeaks and others when they make made up lines to convince the public that they are really, they really know what they're talking about when they don't at all. They even admit that their own computer models give them scary scenarios because they feed in scary scenarios. That's a wonderful thing. You, you can put in large numbers of things for data, large numbers into these computers, and guess what? They'll give you even bigger numbers back. Ooh, scary, scary stuff. Especially made computers for that. Just astonishing, isn't it? But that's the world as it, as it really is. And we'll touch on that tonight as to do with their conditioning of the general public. And I mentioned before, this is the time when they come out with all the scary, scary stories to terrify you, building up to the Rio uh, 20 plus 12 meeting. They always do this before the big meetings so that we'll all go along with the signing or the leaders will sign your rights and freedoms away for you. You'll just sit back. Well, I guess they had to do it to save us. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system of illusion. And it's really management of perception. That's what they're into, is giving you uh, really what you're supposed to believe and you do that because you're trained in a certain way. In fact, it's a natural way to think. You're given certain bits and bytes of words and sentences, and they will steer you by nudges into coming to what you think is your own conclusion. But in actual fact, it was designed for you to come to that conclusion, much like a programmer of a computer knows the language of the computer, he knows its logic system, and he knows what it must come to when he gives a, a problem to solve. Same thing with people. These are all neuroscientific techniques that they use on the general public all the time. And so right now is the time to blast us all with scary, scary scenarios, as I say, because of the upcoming big Rio meeting, where that Rio part one, of course, 20 years ago, and that, that brought an Agenda 21. It brought in a whole bunch of um, laws and treaties that were signed at the top that took away the rights of people to even work their own land that supposedly owned for themselves. And if you think that was bad, yes, it's nothing compared to what's coming up. Uh, believe you me, this is to be the final killer to bring in the big hope for the, the far, far left, you see, of the controlled, dominated society where scientists run us from cradle to grave. That's what it's all about. That's the only reason for it. And to bring into austerity because they claim, well, you've had it too good for too long and they want to supposedly bring up the third world country to at least a, a basic standard as you plummet down. And that's what's happening right now. So even when you're plummeting down across the world, uh, like Australia, Britain, Canada, the US and lots of other countries, that they're also taxing you into the ground to take your taxes and redistribute the wealth, according to Karl Marx. That was one of the planks of the manifesto. And they're doing that too. The people don't even know what's happening or the, the, the logic behind it. Remember, the international bankers love socialism. That's why they created it, because they, they prefer a managed society managed by government and governmental agencies. They like that kind of centralized system because all the departments have to go to the bankers via the government. So there's only one bunch of folk to see in the government for the money lending and getting the cash back for the bankers. It's far easier than going state to state, village to village, town to town, that kind of thing. Anyway, 
to start off tonight too, um, people have got on about pros and cons for Minister Farrakhan, but uh, I, I'm putting up a link tonight to a video where you'll see him being interviewed in a radio uh, uh, interview. Uh, and during the commercial, he, he lambasts all the mainstream media that's there, try to catch him out and something. He tells them exactly what they are, who they work for, how they're all basically prostitutes, and how they're putting America into slavery, and they're well aware of it. He says it as it is. So I'll put up that link tonight, and there's nothing I can disagree uh, with that he says at all. It's right on the money. So I'll put that up to start it. Now, there's so many articles getting thrown out by the big boys, and lots of them are really comical as well. But again, scary scenarios, remember, that's what you're seeing, scary scenarios. And one of them is, uh, can geoengineering solve the global warming? Well, the premise is that there is global warming, when actually, in fact, it's not. But good lies stick, you see. It's interesting, too, that the lie that comes out first generally stays in your mind, even when the truth exposes it as a lie. It's quite a technique. They know all this, of course, in neuroscience. But this one here is from the New Yorker. And it goes on about the scary things. Oh, a volcano in the Philippine Islands of Luzon began to rumble, etc., back in 1991. And then they go on to all the terrible things that happened and the gas and ash penetrate the stratosphere, yada, yada, yada. And then it goes into heavy industrial activity of the previous hundred years has caused the Earth's climate to warm by roughly three quarters of a degree Celsius, which it hasn't, of course. But the fact is, it's great how they get the scary things that happened in real life, like volcanoes going off, and they immediately tie it to heavy industrial activity. That's why they've deindustrialized most of us, but it's not enough anymore. You see, you've got to make sure you get a permit to heat yourself in the home. They'll fine you if there's a bit of heat escaping here and there in the crappy houses we all are forced to live in because of the cost of them. But uh, it's to bring you down into their way of thinking. So you're the problem, remember. For all these guys and are on board with the climate change stuff, you're all the problem. So they go into all the different stuff here, and for years even to entertain the possibility of human intervention on such a scale, geoengineering, that's spraying the skies with all the stuff they've been doing since 1998, as though they're just going to do it now, for those who don't know. <laughs> anyway, so geo, as, as the practice is known, has been denounced as hubris. Predicting long-term climatic behavior by using computer models has proved difficult. And the notion of fiddling with the planet's climate based on the results generated by those models worries even scientists who are fully engaged in the research. In other words, they make their living off imagination. It says there will be no easy victories, but at some point we're going to have to take the facts seriously. David Keith, professor of engineering and public policy at Harvard, and one of the geoengineering's most thoughtful supporters told me, nonetheless, he added, it's hyperbolic to say this, but no less true. When you start to reflect light away from the planet, you can easily imagine a chain of events that would extinguish life on Earth. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and on with the usual. Now, don't get confused by mathematics. They use the same technique as a con man who, who works as an economist, you see. Same tech, the same techniques. You know, the guys who do all the hedge funds and yada, yada, yada. They, they throw out all these different uh, scenarios of, of possibilities and, and pre- present it as fact. I tell you, you're totally confused at the end, and you say, my, they must know what they're talking about. I can't keep up with it. That's the con trick. The snake oil salesman of, of 100 years ago did the same thing when they were selling you literally snake oil and battery acid mixed together and a bit of alcohol in there too, of course, to make you feel better. And that's how it worked. But they'd always throw in a bit of science to try and, and con you into why this actually worked. 
That's a, this is quite interesting, this article, because all tens of thousands of wildfires have already been attributed to warming, as have melting glaciers and rising seas, all debunked in the last year or two, all that stuff. But it doesn't stop them lying, you see. And they don't know how bad it's going to be, and they don't know when it's going to get bad, can Caldera, the climate scientist with the Carnegie Institution, told me. And since in 2007, Caldera was a principal contributor to the IPCC team that won a Nobel Peace Prize for lying with a straight face. I added the last part on because that's true. There are wide variations within the models, he says, but we're getting uh, better, uh, and we'd better get ready because we're running rapidly towards a minefield and we don't know where the minefield starts or how long it will be before we find ourselves in the middle of it. Wasn't that scary? Doesn't, doesn't that scare you, that one? And yet, I put the, the full thing from the New Yorker here, and it's quite interesting here, because what they give you are scientists or guys like professors who always dress up with bow ties and have funny habits, which they practice actually because you're supposed to be a bit eccentric to fool everybody that you're actually more intelligent. So they'll have this little shtick, you see, like the nutty professor. And so this this guy goes on to say, uh, talks about at Cambridge, Hugh Hunt and his team are trying to determine the best way to get those particles into the stratosphere. This is for geoengineering. And a third group, they're talking about sulfuric acid, sulfuric and, or sulfur dioxide, which produces sulfuric acid. They want that to rain down on you for folks, you know. No kidding. A third group at Oxford has been focusing on the effect of such an intervention and it would likely have on the Earth's climate. Never mind us, eh? Because we've been coughing and hacking since 98 with the heavy spraying that's going on and, you know. And it says, Hunt and I spoke in Cambridge at Trinity College, where he is professor of engineering and the keeper. Oh, oh, this is title. He's the keeper of the Trinity College clock. He's got a little clock, you see. A renowned timepiece that gains or loses less than a second a month. Well, what's that got to do with it? Now, listen to the, here's the, the eccentricity I always give you. In his office, this scientist, right, this professor, has got dozens of boomerangs dangling on the wall. Boomerangs, you see. When I asked about them, he grabbed one and hurled it at my head. Ooh. You know. He says, I teach three-dimensional dynamics, he said, flicking his hand in the air to grab it as, re- as it returns. See, that's his shtick, you see, to pretend he's eccentric, meaning clever. Hunt has devoted his inte- intellectual life to the study of mechanical vibration. Well, you see those things in the stores along the street, in the stores, I guess, that's what it is. His web page is filled with instructive videos about gyroscopes, rings wobbling down, rods and boomerangs. So then he gets a pink balloon, of course, it's got to be pink, it tells you something too, attached to a string. And he's talking about putting this pipe up in the air, so this is to, to demonstrate how the pipe will work. The principle is pretty simple. He holds a string and he, and he begins to wobble the, the balloons as if they were being tossed by foul weather. Everything's fine if it's sitting still. You know, he's talking about putting these big pipes up into the air attached to dirigible balloons, huge ones. You'll pay for it all, folks, as they play, you see. Anyway, holding the balloons there, he began to wave his arm erratically. One of the problems is that nothing is going to be still up there. It's going to be moving around. And the question we've got is, this pipe, an industrial hose that will convey the particles into the sky, is going to be under huge stressors. He snapped the string connected to the balloon. How do you know it's not going to break? That's why he's a genius, eh? He's poor, the balloons and all that stuff. We are really pushing things to the limits in terms of their strength, so it's essential that we get the dynamics of motion right. Yeah, they want to put miles of this stuff in the sky to do this little test, which is nonsense since these big planes have been covering us with this stuff, as I say, since 1998, pretty well daily up this way. 
Most science, even those with no interest in personal publicity, are vigorous advocates for their own work. But not this group. In other words, they're real, you see, with their little pink balloons. I don't know how many times I have said this, but the last thing I would ever want is for the project I've been working on to be implemented, Hunt said. If we were to have to use these tools, it means something on the planet has gone seriously wrong. Yeah, what poisoned it? They're sulfur, putting sulfur into the air. That's what it is. And it goes through SPICE, S-P-I-C-E. The team decided to conduct a brief unconventional pilot study, which they thought would be uncontroversial, to demonstrate how they would disperse the sulfur dioxide. Do you know what that is when you breathe it in? Well, you all know, I'm sure you've all had the, the hacking coughs that don't go away and the bronchitis and your children do too. But they plan to float a balloon over Norfolk, where they've done lots of experiments in the past 60s and 70s. They, put little, they sprayed cadmium over the public there. That's, I'll put that up tonight again too. Poor old Norfolk, they're always poisoning them. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix talking about the, the climate fixers, the start off the volcano and then end up with basically industrial societies, just meaning they're just the same, you see. It's all your fault. You, you, you're, you're the problem. You're just like a whole bunch of volcanoes just spewing sulfuric acid. Meanwhile, they want to use this stuff to spray on us and, and uh, just to see what happens if they can cool the atmosphere, etc., etc. And these guys have got jobs for life. Don't forget, too, these are all recent sort of positions in universities and you know, all these students coming in for, for years now, uh, they can use their imaginations and dream up more scary scenarios because they've got to justify what they're doing. It's not a, I wouldn't even call it a science at this level, to be honest with you. It's a, but it definitely is a political agenda. To, to please the big boys and get us all, you know, properly run, the whole world run from cradle to grave, every individual, and living in utter austerity. You see, to give the top guys more power. Power, remember, is, is a drug to these guys at the top. Every generation creates psychopaths who crave power. And uh, in the past, read your history books. They've taken power by so many different means possible. But the best way is to convince the public that, that you're all going to die and they're going to save you. That's the oldest trick in the book, you see. Same thing here. Same thing. So I'll put this one from the New Yorker up. And just to say... Uh, it's quite funny with their, with their boomerang professors and all this nonsense and these vibrators and things like that and explaining how we're all going to die. Anyway, it's, it's getting even worse because this is a time for daily scary scenarios. Daily. Every day they're going to come out, you see, and uh, it just goes on and on. I mean, here's one here, and, and it's, it's a fascinating one from the National Geographic that's funded by the, all the big players for greening the big agenda to take care of us all, etc., and put us all in a kind of prison camp where we just eat veggies all the time. They don't want us eating meat at all. And this is how this one works, too. It's about dinosaurs, you see. And the whole premise is that dinosaurs farted themselves into extinction. Now, don't get all blustered and flustered because of the word farting. It's in the dictionary. And even when I was a wee boy, I looked it up, you see, because wee boys do that kind of thing. You find out what it means. And it's, it was expressed in the Oxford one at that time as a small explosion between the legs. So the, the Department of Homeland Security is quite right after all. We're natural-born terrorists, I guess. Eh? So it says dinosaurs may have helped warm ancient Earth via their own natural gaseous emissions. 
the new study says. Like modern-day ruminants, giant, see how they immediately bring you into cows, cattle, what you're eating, you see. So they start with dinosaurs. Same as the last story, it started with a volcano, ends up with your industry. This is the technique they use. Like modern-day ruminants, giant plants eating dinosaurs likely had, even though they're, they're not, I mean, these dinosaurs were, were reptilian. They were, they were not, uh, you know, mammals. Anyway, uh, likely, I, I love how scientists are so precise, they likely, as with their imaginations, had microbes in their gut that gave off large amounts of methane. We haven't got one experiment on, so they can't tell us, but they likely had this, you see. So they gave off methane, a a potent greenhouse gas, even more effective at trapping heat than carbon dioxide. Whenever, by the way, you're going through some of the mountains, like Smoky Mountains, and that, what, they, in the Blue Mountains, where they call them that, you, you're seeing methane come, come off as, as vegetation dies. It dies, you see, and it rots and, and it gives off methane, naturally, you see. But it's all your fault, because you, you burp and you fart. No kidding. No kidding. This is from science. So, right on your, your, your food supply. Today's cows, goats, sheep, giraffes, and other ruminants contribute to global warming by releasing as much as 50 million to 100 million. There's no, there's no agreed with the statistics. From 50 to 100 million, there's no difference here, metric tons of methane per year. A significant chunk of the 500 million to 600 million metric tons emitted. They're so precise with their imagination, isn't it? Amazing. It says annually, mostly due to human activity. Oh. According to the World Meteorological Organization, the cud-chewing animals have large forced stomachs packed with microbes that break down coarse plant material, and the main byproduct of the process is methane, and it's got to go somewhere. Methane can come out of either end of an animal. For example, with cows it's mainly the front, said study co-author Dave Wilkinson, an ecologist, oh, an ecologist, eh, at Liverpool John Moores University in England. As for how these approximately 20-ton beasts, 20-ton beasts, the largest of all known dinosaurs, expelled their methane, Wilkinson said, we don't have any strong view, strong as a word, I guess, eh, on what happened with the sauropods, he says. Doesn't that make you feel literally you don't know what sauropod means? Eh? Mm, I suppose to, you see. <laughs> so sauropods is huge methane sources. Then they got into the same thing as the last article. To estimate how much methane sauropods emitted, the scientists guessed that they were, that's all they get with their theories, they're just guesses, that there were roughly 10 sauropods per square kilometre. That's, that's pretty good guessing, eh? And since the team's analysis of modern ruminants suggests a sauropod might give off about 4.2 pounds or 1.9 kilograms of methane daily. A U.S. cow, by comparison, might give off a daily average of 0.4 to 0.7 pounds or 0.2 to 0.3 kilograms. Assuming there were 29 million square miles of vegetated land where sauropods lived, their global methane production might have reached a whopping 520 million metric tons annually. Now, that wouldn't happen because see, some caveman would come along with, with a, a kind of bright brain and he would have somehow trapped this methane and used it to heat, you see. burns really great. It's clean burning. It's really good stuff. Lots of cops in the U.S. use it in the countryside. They get these methane uh, traps they come across and they fill up their cars and they don't have... I tell you, one program says that the cars on the go 24 hours a day with different shifts used to have their engines changed at least once a month. They burned them out with the, with the gasoline and the carbon. But the methane burns so cleanly that, they, that for a whole year they hadn't had to change an engine in those cars. So some enterprising caveman would have come along with a familiar name and owned the whole the whole kit and caboodle through Monopoly. I'm sure of it. Back with more after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the, the you know, the, the guys who do big guesses, the guys up in university who are professors and all that, and they're specialists, you see. They're going to guide our lives for us and make us, well, eat vegetables and things because they don't want us eating meat from ruminants and, and, and all that kind of thing, you see. Because, you see, they said that a long time ago. They're bringing in a, a, a vegetarian-only society. That's That's what they say. And... And they mean it too. And it'll all, it'll all be GM stuff soaked in pesticides because they want rapid depopulation. Anyway, that, this article here uh, goes on about, uh, and it's from National Geographic too. There's also a BBC one I'll put up too. It's the same thing because they're all in it together, aren't they? The BBC's all on board with this thing. <laughs> but it says here, um, Kloss, this is another guy, Kloss, who wasn't part of the study, noted, for example, the team's calculations of methane emissions based on body weight were made from measurements of modern reptiles and mammals, not birds, which are the closest living relatives to dinosaurs. So they, they, used, they interested mammals for these reptiles. The problem is it's still unknown how much methane plants eating birds release. It's amazing we don't know how about the plant eating birds release, but we can tell exactly what these, these, these different uh, dinosaurs released more oh, millions of years ago. Isn't that fantastic, eh? They had to do a lot of channeling, you know. I think there's a special channeling computer and, and put their hands on it and somebody goes into a trance. Probably the professor, and, and he comes out with all this wonderful stuff and calculations and so on. He says, we would find that herbivorous birds produce less methane than similar size herbivores and mammals, he says. So the whole calculation might have to be redone, <laughs> said Kloss of the University of Zurich. So... They go on to, regardless of the calculations, fossil finds make it clear that sauropods lived a much warmer world than we do. We've had volcanoes all over the place. We've all seen the Hollywood movies. Eh? That's where it all comes from, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, that's one as we go into scary scenarios and how you've got to stop eating meats and, and, and you've got to take lots of antacids and things to stop farting. And speaking of farting, by the way, it's interesting to see that they've got another underwear bomber with, with Mark II or three lingerie, you know. Have you noticed that nonsense? Utter rubbish. I won't even mention it because I think it's utter rubbish. So many folk have complained by the TSC, uh, TSC, uh, you know, patting them down and grabbing their genitals and so on. Uh, and so they've got to now come up with these stories as to why they've got to do it. So they, they make up these ridiculous, ridiculous stories. Ridiculous stories. Absolute nonsense. There was never any danger, yada, yada, yada. But it's to get the public's, oh, well, I guess they have to do all this groping stuff. This is the world we really live in. It's all make-believe, folks. Now, getting away from the, the, the dinosaurs, and here's another one. Another one. Oh, mainstream again. Big one. Mammoth belch deficit. See, the mammoths, you see, they had a belch deficit caused by prehistoric, they caused the prehistoric cooling period. So the one called, caused the, the warming period because it had bacteria in their gut, supposedly. And a mammoth belch deficit caused prehistoric cooling. It's great being one of these scientists because I'm telling you, the sky's the limit for your imagination, isn't it? Yep. And they keep throwing grants at you. Just shout crisis, crisis, and the grants flow in. And they can get boomerangs and throw them around the rooms at students and things. 
Eh? When mammoths and other Ice Age uh, megafauna, oh, love these news, megafaunas, eh? big fauna, disappeared from the Americas about 12,800 years ago on a Friday afternoon when the cavemen were having tea, the animals took with them their planet-warming burps, spurring the mysterious cooling period known as the Younger Dryas. A new study says... Oh, I wonder how many folk will put their thesis in for that one. Get on to you. And because humans are thought to have killed the creatures off, the deaths hint that we've been changing the climate since long before the first Model T chugged out of Mr. Ford's factory. Yep. According to the Ice Core studies, the Younger Dryas event began about a thousand years after mass human migrations into the Americas, about 3,400 years ago, near the end of the last Ice Age. The world had been starting to warm, but the younger dryest brought on a freeze that lasted about 1,300 years, with estimated temperature drops of 7.2 to 14.4 degrees Fahrenheit in eastern North America and northern Europe. Also within a thousand years of the human migrations, more than 114 species of large plant-eaters, including woolly mammoths, giant camels, and ground sloths, had gone extinct. And they give you pictures of drawings, wonderful drawings, they're really good at giving you illustrated drawings and stuff. I saw one once where they found a tooth in the jungle, and it became a very famous tooth, because out of that tooth, they reconstructed through their illustrations uh, a kind of ape man uh, kind of walking through the jungle, and they had different photographs as he, as he got up and up and straightened up, and, and as time went on, and he evolved and stuff, all from that tooth, yeah. Yeah, you can't do that, but they can do that, because they've got better imaginations than you. Anyway, it says, the link between the extinctions and cooling, the study says, is methane, a greenhouse gas, 20 times more powerful than carbon dioxide when it comes to global warming. As a digest plant material, large herbivores give off the gas, which, contrary to popular belief, escapes via the head. And some of them, I guess. People just automatically assume that it's farts. Lamented study leader Felisa Smith of the University of New Mexico, 80 to 90 percent of methane is in the form of a burp, and it is with the hippopotamus it can do it far through its mouth. You see, some people do that too at work in university. That's why no one goes near them and never sit in the front row. Eh? Missing methane's mysteries solved. So anyway, they found out. You see, the cause Smith said is all those missing methane burps. We estimate that just under 10 teragrams, about 10 million tons of methane, would have gone missing when the animals went extinct, she says. So they think they just, they're back, maybe they got antibiotics and the bacteria in their gut just died off and they stopped burping, you see. That's what must have happened, eh? You do your thesis on that, for, you'll, come, you'll come through too, with honours, no problem about that. So anyway, the nice next ice age is delayed by global warming, the study says. And it goes on and on and on. With all their imaginations, it's quite entertaining, certainly. But unfortunately, this is all going to get presented, you see, as, as fact at the Rio summit. And your, your willing politicians, who are all in on the act, by the way, are going to ram a lot of laws through, you know, to make you all take antacids and stuff like that, for sure, you know. Because you never know where it can. And curry will probably get banned altogether, I'd imagine. My goodness, eh? What a world, what a world. I'm also putting up tonight uh, an article from Germany, and it was by one of the co-founders or writers of the big 1970s uh, Club of Rome's report uh, that started off this whole kick when they came up with the idea about we'll create global warming. That'll be the, that'll fit the bill. I mean, starvation and so on. Didn't mention burps or anything, but uh, uh, so he's come up with this next one for the year 2050. This this co-writer from the Club of Rome with more scary scary scenarios. You see, 
And they can't backtrack now because they said that in the 1970s that would fit the bill and come hell or high water, they're not going to change their minds. This nonsense is going to put us all into utter slavery, you know. Then you'll have all these professors with boomerangs not looking after you in pink, pink balloons. I wouldn't trust them personally, but, uh, anyway, um, I'm also putting a link too to do with melamine. It says there's mercury, high fructose, corn syrup, and basically a lot of the foods, and the FDA has known it for years. And that's true. They actually use a big bath of mercury, uh, which steams uh, a lot of the stuff over, and it ends up in the fructose corn syrup. And that's in everything that they give children for sweeteners and, and everything. That they, lots of things. Even your general food process is in that too. I'll put that out tonight. And... Also, I'm putting up an, a, a site as well. It's called GMO Compass for Genetically Modified Organism or Food. And it's to do with uh, what's supposedly safe, what isn't. Different countries, um, how they're, they're using the laws on labelings or not using them at all. And uh, it's quite an interesting website to put up. And an article too, it's um, about the Met Office. Everybody's heard about the Met Office that was that came under massive flack from uh, the, the scandals with the, the emails from the East Anglia University. They're cooperating with the Met Office, you see, drumming up scary scenarios again and lying to the public and, and trying to cover up their lies too when they got caught. Well, the Met Office, by the way, which used to always be sort of government run, and this is a fairly new thing though, it's a, here's a site, this is their own site, it's an overview of the Met Office, the Meteorological Office, as an organization including who we are and what we're, where we're based and the work we do around the world and how to get in touch. So it says that the Met Office is the United Kingdom's national weather service. But you see, it's a corporation now. It's with a long history of weather forecasting and been working in the area of climate change for more than two decades. We are a trading fund. We are a trading fund within the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills. So the guys giving you your weather reports are actually in a, they're a, a, a trading fund in the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills, operating on a commercial basis under set targets. Our targets are verified and publicized in this section. Well, what, what they're actually all about, you see, and they work with lots of other locations across the world, you see, they put your food... The five agribusiness business companies own all the world's food supply now, since all the small farmers under, uh, are predicting uh, in the stock markets uh, how the weather is going to be and what crops are going to fail in what country, etc., etc. Naturally, too, they must know which ones are going to get sprayed, obviously, and, and cause a failure of crops or floods or whatever they give them because they can do drought or flooding with the types of spray that they use. That's old hat. That's old stuff, weather warfare. Look it up yourself. So anyway, here they are making money out of your food supplies as they bet on it going up or down or failing altogether for the big corporations. But mind you, they're supposed to be a government institute. Probably get, still get their tax money going to them as well as they run their private business here, uh, predicting who's going to rise and who's going to fall, who's going to fail, all of that kind of thing. Quite something, eh? Also, I'm putting up uh, a good video uh, and it's Judge Napolitano who talks about spying through your electronics because, as you know, Toshiba was the first one to come out and admit it that they've got your facial recognition, your, your television puts out these little beams and it will 
basically uh, encode them into circuitry of the shape of your face uh, and face identification. Same with anybody who walks in and sits down and watches television with you, or even or walks past, even the television set. And it's doing an awful lot more. Are you being spied on through your electronics, it says? And it's quite an interesting thing as he goes through the laws and how there's been trampled completely. And there's another article about it too, written one, which I'll put up as well, on Toshiba, which is only one of the many ones doing this kind of stuff. And, and they send all your data back to, no, oh, the CIA and NSA and every other organization that wants to see what you're doing in your living rooms all the time, you see. So things are really rampaging ahead. Charity. Charity is, is one of the biggest rackets and always was, mind you, because remember even the old, uh, the old, um, uh, Masons groups basically started big charitable business. All they end up being cons. Even the, the, themselves, most of the money goes to their lodges, you know. And there's a lot of articles come out in the past about how it goes into their, their own lodges, but 80 to 90% of what they bring in goes into building the lodge and making it better. But uh, it's the same thing even pre them, because even when the guilds were working, they used to build uh, uh, special hospitals for guild members only and that kind of thing too. But charity has always been a racket, so many rackets involved. So the IRS forms show that a charity's money isn't going to disabled vets. It says tax records for the Disabled Veterans National Foundation show $55.9 million in donations. Almost none of that money has been provided to American veterans. It's all provided useless donations, including over 11,000 bags of M&Ms to one charity. That's just what you need when you're sick, right? The DVNF did not respond to repeated questions from CNN. And since so the national charity that vowed to help disabled veterans and their families has spent tens of millions on marketing services. That's what they spent the money on. All the while doling out massive amounts of candy, hand sanitizer bottles, and many unnecessary items to veteran aid groups, according to a CNN investigation. The Disabled Veterans National Foundation, based in Washington, D.C., founded in 2007, received $55.9 million since it began operations in 2007, according to publicly available IRS 990 forms. Yet, according to DVNF's tax filings with the IRS, almost none of that money has wound up in the hands of American veterans. Well, what's new? All these charities are rackets. And they actually say this in this article that, you know, uh, these guys come in who see it as a, a profitable business, uh, charities, and of course it certainly is, and that's all they see it as, a very profitable business. There's lots of them I could go through like that, the rackets to do, uh, but, but uh, mm, it's disgusting, disgusting. What can you say? And... Also, I'm going to go into this one here. Space weather. It's not bad enough. They're bringing everybody in on everything. People you've never heard of before. Space weather expert has ominous forecast. Mike Hapgood, who studies solar events, says the world isn't prepared for a truly damaging storm, a solar storm. And one could happen soon. Ooh, you see? This is better than sci-fi, isn't it? A stream of highly charged particles from the sun is headed straight towards Earth threatening to plunge cities around the world in darkness and bring the global economy screeching to a halt. Well, we're already at a halt anyway, except for the stuff coming from China. 
This isn't the premise of the latest doomsday thriller. Massive solar storms have happened before, and another one is likely to occur soon, according to Mike Hapgood, a space weather scientist at the Rutherford Appleton Laboratory near Oxford. England. Much of the planet's electronic equipment as well as orbiting satellites have been built to withstand these periodic geomagnetic storms, but the world is not prepared for a truly damaging solar storm, Hapgood argues in a recent commentary published in the journal Nature. He talked with the Times about the potential effects of such a storm and how the world should prepare for it. Then they tell you what a solar storm is, you know, which everybody obviously would know anyway. And Solar flares coming from the sun and so on and yada, yada, yada. But uh, it tells you how the particles reach the earth, which of course is interesting for guys who are into this, and how it could affect, oh, the, the power grid, probably the smart one. Or can the smart one outsmart it? Eh? Could the smart grid outsmart the solar coming, uh, radiation coming down to earth? Eh? I wonder, eh? Big, big, big test here. So anyway, they mentioned the one that put Quebec out in 1989, uh, when a big solar flare hits, and and, uh, and it could happen anywhere again, and she would be terrified. And ter- Maybe it's looking for bigger grants as well, because all the other guys are getting the grants, you know, the guys with scary scenarios with dinosaurs and boomerangs and, and big pipes going up into the sky to puff out sulfur on us all. <laughs> anyway, that's how they're going, eh? The Green Cross started up with Michael Gorbachev when he was still president of the Soviet Union, and it was registered in California uh, with him as the head of it, probably who's still the president of the Soviet Union. You see, history isn't planned, folks, and the future is not planned. So anyway, Green Cross International roots can be traced back to President um, Michael Gorbachev's time in office as head of state of the Union uh, of Soviet, Soviet Socialist Republics, a period during which he spoke repeatedly about the interrelated threats on humanity and Earth face from nuclear arms, chemical weapons, unsustainable developments, and the man-induced decimation of the planet's ecology, you see. He spoke at the Club of Rome conference at says Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and uh, he also spoke at the last Rio summit too. Did you know that? It'll be the next one as well. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. And we're really into this new Sovietized system, because you see it's a world Soviet, you know. Even guys who were in the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union, complained about the new EU parliament, saying it's more Soviet than the Soviets were. And in the Soviet system, you were pulled up as if you even wrote a poem to see if you were politically correct. Was there anything in there at all that went against the Marxian ideals and thought, that kind of stuff. And now we're getting all now. We got on the West, though. You, you, there's even a, a group now of transsexuals that they want to put into law that we must all believe, believe and say that they're really, you know, what they say they want to be. If they're a redhead or female or whatever, it's like, yeah, okay, you're a redheaded female. Even your logic says, no, they're not. They want it done in law. And here's one here. Blacklist is blacklisted. The word blacklist is blacklisted. The Metropolitan Police in London ban the word overclaims is racist and staff have to say red listed instead, you see. Now it used to be blackballed, that was a term when, when the Masons and the Knights Templars voted on something that red balls and, and uh, white balls and black balls and if it was a, a, a yay was, was white and a nay was black. 
a black so so you got black bald as he called it. Then it became as a they put it into a black list. All the different names were black bald. So he can't say that anymore. And it used to say red listed. So to new, see if they learn all these new terms now to be PC. Staff told to avoid inappropriate white list or black list. So the red list and the green list are less sensitive. The boss says. And the force has been hit by strings of racism allegations. And um, they've also struck out its opposite, whitelists. So you can't whitelist either, you know. I guess you use coloured paper. Which is used by IT workers for a list of acceptable email contacts. Scotland Yard employees have been told they use uh, red and green instead. And it says, the move baffles officers who said it would do little to help the force emerge from its latest racism crisis. 13 reports of racism, including 27 officers and staff, are being probed by the Mets and the independent police watchdog. One officer said, frankly, we all sigh when things like this come around. Lots of good work is done to make sure policing reaches into all parts of society and helps the most vulnerable. That's why they're there. They're social workers, you know. This is not it, he says. And it says the Met was branded institutionally racist by the McPherson Inquiry, set up following the death of Stephen Lawrence. I guess I've killed another one. They're always killing people. I'm sure we can appreciate the sensitivity around the use of such terminology today, so please ensure it's no longer used. As part of a drive by the police chiefs to stamp out racism within the force, but officers within the organization are said to have described the latest orders as bizarre. One source said that banning them won't solve any genuine problems the Met has. With racism, they added, do we really think these words are discriminatory? The truth is, they're nothing to do with race whatsoever, and they're very common IT terms. So the police watchdog announced last month it's carrying out a review into how racism allegations are dealt with by the Metropolitan Police. And that's the bizarre world we're into, folks, from nutty professors, because they have to pretend they're nutty to be eccentric, because they're no brighter than you or I, especially when they're dealing with a lot of, you know, imaginative theories, which are just guesses. And they throw boomerangs around and they make vibrators and things and make things spin. Because they want to put pipes into the air, of course, and get their name on a, on a building somewhere, maybe even a university building. Uh, they want to get their name there and they want to get lots of grants given to them. So they can buy better boomerangs, you know, go further and all that kind of thing. And get rid of all those herbivores and all, all these things that are eating and, and belching and, well, farting too. <gasps> Goodness me. No more champagne for you folks, and even the beer. I guess that'll be banned as well. You can burp that one away. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods, and God help you, go with you. <laughs>